This episode is brought to you by the Metasearch Institute. What happens when patients' cases become too complex to solve in a typical 30-minute visit? Well, you've all had those super thick, super deep patient histories nobody's looked at in a long time and gone back through. Well, I'll tell you what happens is those patients bounce around from doc to doc without getting any answers or making any progress. These patients are trapped and lost in a maze. Well, Metasearch is here for those doctors and for those patients. Their motto is, we solve the unsolvable. Their process is rather simple. Dr. Trent Talbot, the founder, assigns a team of medical detectives, typically three MDs and one PhD, to each case. They research the latest breakthroughs and clinical trials, and they elicit the opinions of 10 to 15 world-leading experts per case. They purposefully seek out experts who will come at each case from a different perspective, the Bainesian method. Altogether, they will put in over 250 MD hours for every case. That means 500 times the amount of brain power that a typical doctor can afford to offer. Nobody can do what Metasearch does. Call 832-968-6667. That's 832-968-6667 to be in touch. You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. America is number one. We lead the world in healthcare, and here's where we lead in obesity rate by far. We have 36.5% of our Americans are obese. Diabetes rate, 13% officially, but it's really three to four times that if you look at the pre-diabetes numbers are over half of us. Our administrative bloat is 10 times that of the Brits and the Canadians, and our pharma cost per capita is a third more than France and Canada and Australia, and almost double that of Germany, Italy, and Spain and UK. And Japan, we're about two and a half times their pharma rate. Our spend per capita as a nation is 11 times Croatia, who we nestle in between them and Cuba for outcomes. So we're number 56, we're not number one there. Uh, and we're almost half of our population is popping pills daily, which far exceeds that of any other country. And in the opioid spend, we are easily number one because we are consuming 80% of all the opioids on planet Earth. How about that one? I learn something new every day. And we're number one in medical bankruptcy. No one else is even remotely close. One in six Americans we all know is in collections, if you listen to this show. And two-thirds of all personal bankruptcies are medical bill related. So the next 100, 1,000, 10,000 reasons for bankruptcy don't even come close to medical bankruptcy, which is double all of them combined. So in the big picture, we spend about a third of our healthcare spend in hospitals and another third in drugs, so they're fair game. I live in a world where everyone wins and so does our guest today. There are five winners, so if you're still talking about triple aim, you haven't been paying attention to Dr. Jay Parkinson because with his model, and particularly when it has since it's been merged in the last few years, there have been five winners, so we gotta talk about quintuple aim because now we have a happy patient. We have a doctor that's happy. 
We have an employer that's happy and we have population health outcomes that are stellar, all with lower costs that start at about 10% when you use the model I'm about to talk about, but I've seen more commonly 30 to 60% lower costs. So please forget the triple aim. It's been dead since our guest reinvented primary care. So he surged past number four and he achieved number five when his firm Sherpa merged with Crossover Health. It's called direct contracting and everybody in healthcare has a cash pay rate, whether it's a doctor or a surgeon, the labor and delivery people, hospitals, imaging labs, even pharmacies are buying wholesale and passing most of that savings on to directly contracted employers today. And there are several benefit brokers who now charge maybe three to 5% of their cohorts with the big alphabet houses. And they engineer all of the above to benefit you and me as employers. This is also a transparency movement, but more important, it's a revolution in eliminating cost friction and time friction. And this is truly the way out of all of this sad litany of number ones that I mentioned at the top of the show here. So we merely are sidestepping the middles and the gamesmen who don't really want change. They like this sick care system and they prefer to hustle us, not to heal us. And about 1% of American employers now agree. This company is a leader bringing them to the forefront using direct contracting And it's interesting that the early adopters are mostly Silicon Valley and Walmart. I'm going to find out why that is. But this is only the beginning. This is a movement. And the employers win big when able to control the number two spend. I've been doing this now for almost three years. My turnover is zero. My absenteeism is way the heck down. And I've been doing this for, as I said, three years. And it's super easy now to hire people when I can offer free health care. So here's what I offer. No premium, no copay, no deductible, no co-insurance, no waiting No time sucks. Those go away too. So employees and patients evolve into true consumers like the rest of the economy treats us. Now we're on a wisdom path and I've locked my best health. I've lost 45 pounds and kept it off the last plus 24 months. And I know now what to do next because I have a wisdom path. I have a care plan. So it's a future where everyone wins. And our guest today, Dr. Jay Parkinson, truly is a pioneer. But calling him a pioneering pediatrician is kind of like calling Lewis and Clark curious explorers. He invented virtual primary care in 2007 when the web was born. His first company later became Sherpa and five years later was merged into Crossover Health and they now have over a million patients. Self-insured clients include the likes of Apple, Facebook, LinkedIn, Intuit, and Amazon. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jay Parkinson. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. Yes. So did I set this up right? You really invented what I call the direct contracting, direct primary care, virtual primary care. That kind of started with you in the very beginning, 10, well, 13 years ago. It did. You know, what's funny is um, the iPhone came out uh, June 29th, 2007, and my last day of residency was June 30th. So, um, you know, I saw that there was a... uh, a location-aware computer in your pocket now, and I started a house call practice in Brooklyn uh, that was powered by my iPhone. So uh, that kind of went viral and got about seven million hits on my site in the first month. And uh, you know, guests on the Colbert Report and you know, uh, spots and Seth Godin's blog and and um, all that exciting stuff. So uh, it was kind of the first and only doctor's practice that launched to go viral. Well, it's so exciting that you merged with Crossover because what a perfect fit you two guys are. I mean, uh, you and Steve really complement each other's models brilliantly. And what I see now is that your new New York Midtown Manhattan site, you're offering some new offerings. I want to talk about what the offering looks like if you're an employer and you have an on-site clinic. 
Um, what you came out with initially was physical and mental therapy. So we'll throw chiropractor, physical therapy in the physical therapy category. And then you have uh, psychiatric and psychological help, which is badly needed today. Then you also offer, of course, primary care. And that's, I, I'm going to call the primary care really an urgent care slash primary care slash dermatology slash everything else that goes with what primary care really should be. And then acupuncture is in there. And now I see you're offering optometry and some other offerings. Can you talk about what you're newly offering at new clients? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we're just sticking to our core, which is primary care, um, you know, behavioral health, uh, musculoskeletal therapy, and um, health coaching, and then care navigation. I want to talk more about care navigation because that's kind of our, I don't know, our secret weapon in a lot of ways. What's fascinating about a population's health spend, only about 5% of it is comes from, you know, your routine primary care office visits and whatever they do. The other 95% comes from all the secondary care that's sort of directed by a very blind primary care, you know, group of providers. And what we're doing with the Care Navigator is we're embedding it onto the team so that whenever a, when a patient needs care beyond our expertise, it is carefully coordinated and strategically, you know, considered, you know, given the fact that prices can range all over the place and uh, definitions of quality are not consistent. So um, it's a super fascinating uh, new service and it really is uh, super embedded and connected into every single clinical decision uh, in our care team. Um, so really that's how you impact that 95% of spend and primary care really isn't the problem. So let's talk about labor and delivery as a good example. That's the most common quote unquote surgery. Um, how do one of the employees who is used to seeing her OB-GYN get to see that same OB-GYN with that model you just described? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we do not, we do not hire um, gynecologists or anything like that. We, we're, we're more focused on uh, family medicine and internists. Um, so, you know, th there's certain things that happen uh, uh, outside of the crossover um, uh, bucket. If your primary care physician is referring to a surgeon or specialist of any of, the, any of that universe, do you have a network of surgeons that the company has selected, that you selected? How does that stay within um, reasonable costs so that the, the cash pay rate is achieved as opposed to ridiculous rates that they can charge? This all kind of starts with our platform. If you can imagine our platform is like Slack, meets an EMR, meets a project management tool, meets like a CRM. And the CRM really is for uh, relationships with local providers and facilities. So these are curated and, you know, surprisingly, if, if I go into St. Louis, Missouri, it doesn't take, it's not crazy to go in and just like map out the healthcare resources of St. Louis. Uh, there's a finite amount of urgent care centers and cardiologists and things like that. So. We just sort of do the research to um, basically curate that network. And we don't want all 300 cardiologists in St. Louis. We want five, you know, that we have a direct close connection with. And uh, we choose them um, because, you know, they're not in the upper 95th percentile of, of cost. Uh, but, you know, they have great reviews. Um, they have a great reputation. They've trained in great places. Uh, so really, that's what we do. We just add these folks into our back end. So when our providers and care navigators are deciding uh, where to coordinate care with, it's kind of uh, served up to them. 
Um, but you know, most companies don't really care about secondary spend. We just think it's the most important thing to care about. And then what about say imaging and labs? Is do you have the same kind? I guess there's two big national labs. Do you have the same type of agreements with local imaging and labs, or do you just send them to the hospital? Or does it really matter? Does place of service matter? No, for sure. I mean, for those commodities, and we just call them commodities, and an MRI, you know, for the most part is a commodity. Uh, we for sure wouldn't send that to a um, an academic medical center. We would send that to a freestanding MRI uh, facility. So, um, you know, it's it's just simple things like that. I mean, I always say that doctors are the real consumers of healthcare um, because we make the ordering; somebody else does the paying. You know, so. We should be really smart orders uh, because whoever's paying for this, uh, the costs are real. Yes. Um, okay, so you sent them, they've gotten their labs or they've gotten their imaging. Do you do something to, I know you're all about consumer friction and keeping that down to as low as possible. Do you do something where they come in ahead of time to get the labs before they see your doctor or how does that work in terms of, is it, how are you reducing friction other than the virtual primary care, which we'll talk about in a minute? Yeah, well, we tr we basically say that we are 100% digital first. So folks, um, whenever they need care, they go log into Crossover and click, you know, get care now. And that really creates what we consider, we call it the episode of care, but it's kind of the equivalent of a Slack channel. And um, a member, you know, just tells us what's going on in that episode. And uh, we immediately just start asking them questions. It's the same dedicated care team every time they reach out. Um, and really what this is, is about sort of doing as much as you possibly can online and using anything physical and in-person as confirmatory measures. So what's interesting about that is our physical centers are really being transitioned into lower, you know, smaller footprints, uh, more targeted services. And it really is about, you know, transitioning those centers away from being exploratory meaning, hey, you walk into the door and we don't have any idea why you're here. We need to figure that out to we know exactly why you're here. You're in and out and it's hyper efficient. So with mental health, let's talk about that for a moment. People like going to the same provider time after time because they're sharing very personal things. Have you found that, that you're able to switch that into just a generalist and, or a general relationship or do they actually have a one doc or we'll call it a one uh, provider, one patient relationship? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's this isn't sort of, you know, Doc Hollywood where, you know, doctors are on call literally, you know, 24-7, 365. Uh, but is it a small team of doctors just to be realistic in, in today's sort of staffing world? Um, so every time you reach out, you know, you're going to work with the same, you know, uh, same team of doctors. Uh, our goal is 90% of the time you're working with one of that uh, small team. Um, because really, it's all about relationships. You know, and uh, whenever you have a relationship and every time you use a service, it's the same team that knows you, that builds trust. And then once you have that trust, you have engagement and then that, that leads to outcomes. So um, it's all about the relationship and also that ongoing relationship unlocks us to be, to be able to do all kinds of things online. So for example, if it's a transactional telehealth visit with a, you know, a uh, one of the sort of 10 minute video visit companies, um, they really can't do much because they can't order tests. They can't sort of follow up with you. It's just a tiny snapshot in your story. What we do is we own the entire story so we can just have that relationship and we can really be super comfortable as providers 
to really, you know, treat things either aggressively or conservatively as possible because we have that ongoing communication and relationship with you. Is there a uh, pushback when somebody wants to use their doctor? In other words, I'm going to imagine the last thing a company wants, an employer wants is noise. And when somebody loses their doctor to you, who's on site now, do you get some of that pushback that uh, I miss my doctor, I wish I had my doctor, uh, or does that all go away when they don't have to pay premiums and co-pays and deductibles anymore? <laughs> yeah, um, we definitely are not. Uh, how about this? We compete with local providers based on the experience, right? And if you if you love your local doctor and you're getting care from your local doctor like we do, like we deliver care, I mean, that's awesome. That's a, that's, that's a great partner in the community for us. Um, but the majority of providers out there uh, just don't have the sort of resources and, uh, you know, they're working in that fee-for-service world. They don't have the, the time and um, the tools to really deliver the type of experience that we do. So, yeah, we're not trying to, you know, um, take anybody away from a doctor they love. But at the same time, we'll for sure compete on the experience and the lack of, you know, insane bills that you get after the visit. Uh, and, you know, we think that people will switch to us. Do you have a um, kind of a roving number that's happened since you started Sherpa? Uh, you know, we're talking about almost a decade. There has been an evolution where virtual primary care and really has taken a lot off the plate of the direct visit. Um, the numbers I've seen you talk about lately are 95% of all visits are obviated by virtual primary care. Is that still in the same ballpark? Because it didn't start out that way. It didn't start out that way, but at Sherpa, I mean, the second we launched, we started tracking the number of, um, I'm sorry, the percent of cases that were solved entirely in-house. And we found that 70% were. Um, but we only had primary care doctors. We didn't have, you know, behavioral health therapists or physical therapists or anything like that. So uh, we, you know, we were sort of limited. Um, but now that we function as a team and also the fact that we can um, use our partnership with Rubicon MD to pull in specialist consults for curbside consults so that we don't have to refer to as many specialists. You just start seeing that the majority of things just don't ever need to be seen in person. The best way to explain this is the same thing that every one of us is going through right now at COVID. I mean, we're not, we're not going into the office all, you know, all the time, but like companies aren't falling apart. We're still functioning because the majority of human problems are solved by communication and, you know, teamwork. So really, that's, that's just all we're doing is the same thing that the entire culture is going through right now. So I, I find it fascinating that the early adopters of this model have been Silicon Valley. That should be no surprise, but it just, what is the resistance you get when you talk to people outside of that universe, why they don't want to do this? Because it just seems 100% logical and there's just except for legacy reasons or inertia, there's no reason to say no to this. Yeah, you know, I think that the, the most interesting reason why um, companies say no is because um, new models of healthcare delivery typically don't have, fall into traditional CPT codes that can be built through the health plan. And so then that leaves you um, stuck you know, working with uh, HR budgets rather than health plan budgets. And so you really, the big, the big issue here is sort of, uh, you know, extracting plan dollars and putting it in HR budgets and then paying for primary care in a new way because the way we deliver care doesn't have a crystal clear CPT code to build health plans 
uh, for. So it really is just, it's a no brainer um, if you can solve that problem. That problem takes a long time to solve. Is there a um, downstream cost saving that you present to them for hospital stays, for ER visits, et cetera, um, that you're able to reduce because of the primary care relationship? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on the on the vertical, um, you know, ER visits, urgent care visits, uh, imaging specialists, but, um, you know, it's really fascinating. If you, if you think about, um, again, that doctor's orders, it's the same thing as a doctor ordering something on Amazon, but you can't see the price and you can't see the reviews and you're using somebody else's credit card, right? So why not arm that, that provider who's spending the money of the, of, the, of the employer with some insight and transparency based on that partnership with the care navigator who's doing the research literally on a one-off basis because if you can throw an hour or two's worth of, you know, a um, care navigator's time at a $5,000 order, like that's money well spent, right? So, you know, that's kind of that's how we tackle this. It's, it's um, you know, again, it all stems from the fact that doctors are the true consumers of healthcare. So Jay, let's talk for a moment about when, when we're talking about virtual primary care, um, what cannot be done by virtual primary care uh, and what will, be able, what will we be able to do in the future because of uh, using artificial intelligence and the data metrics you're getting? Um, what, what will uh, algorithms do to even make virtual primary care better? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, the first thing we can't do is a physical exam. We can't do procedures uh, and we can't sort of look you in the eyes when we need to, right? Physical exams, uh, if you ask any doctor, it's, it's one of the many data points that, you know, um, are important when making a diagnosis. It is far less important once a diagnosis is made and you're just managing the issue over time. Um, at the same time, uh, there's some interesting thing hap things happening in the world uh, for, uh, you know, physical exams online. For example, there's an app called ResApp, um, which is essentially Shazam for coughs. Um, you know, when you think about it, each disease have, it has a different type of cough profile. So if you record your cough, it can spit out uh, what type of cough you, you, just, you just did. So, you know, that's objective data that's much better than subjective stethoscopes. Um, so things like that. The other thing that we can't do, we can't do point-of-care testing. Um, at the same time, there are companies like Everlywell and LabCorp's Pixel, uh, which we use all the time. Um, Whenever we need to get some blood work done, we either send you to a local lab core. If it's not urgent, we'll just, um, you know, have uh, lab course send a, um, a testing kit at home to you because we're the ordering doctors. We get those results back. Um, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's just like it's the majority of healthcare can be done online, especially now that they have all these new, you know, tools in our bag. Mm -hmm. What are you saying the future looks like a year from now? Do you see that more traditional employers are going to start adopting this because of these market leaders that are getting their attention? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, whenever you're an innovator, so much of this is about timing, you know, and Scott and I have been doing this, uh, you know, 13 years, really. Um, and I think the industry is now catching up and, uh, I think we're going to see some sea changes um, in who's going to be engaging in new models of primary care. 
at the same time, I mean, we got to be realistic. Healthcare is, you know, 20, 30 years behind our culture, uh, which is nice because we can sort of see how our culture evolves elsewhere and they'd be prepared for it uh, when healthcare catches up. So uh, we're getting there. So you and Scott refer to this movement as a digital first healthcare movement. Is that how you prefer to call it? Uh, I call it direct contracting, but I think yours might be more accurate. Uh, direct contracting to me sounds more financial. Um, virtual first to me is more just like the care model. Just go online first to get care. If you need to be seen in person, we'll make that happen. And then do you have any sense of what number of Americans right now are in the virtual primary care world? Because it seems to me that it just seems to be growing by leaps and bounds, but there's not an association that's tracking it. I mean, DPC claims half a million members, but there's way more than half a million when you throw in all of your employers, Walmart, and some of the other Caterpillars, some of the others that are doing these uh, direct contracting models. What do, you, what, do we have any idea what, how many numbers, what the numbers look like? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, tr honestly, there's nobody doing a sort of pure virtual first um, service like us that has the associated business model that can make that, you know, financially uh, possible. Um, we've all heard about how, you know, during COVID, uh, the beginning of COVID, there were like this skyrocketing in telehealth visits. But, you know, in reality, doctors can't really, you know, throw in all those add-ons that you get via an office visit in a telehealth visit. So, you know, the, the, the business model of transactional telehealth doesn't really work when all doctors have is the ability to sell their own time. So it's, uh, it's gotta be the accompanying business model. And really that to me is like the, the metric that you should use rather than the metric of how many sort of virtual care visits were delivered. It's more about how many folks are under a business model where rational communication problem solving just makes sense. Yeah. Well, so if we call the big three models out there, direct care or virtual care, if we call another one value-based care and another fee-for-service, um, what do you think the world looks like in three to five years? Is it going to shift away from fee-for-service? Because I've just, I mean, we are in fee-for-service with our allergy clinics and the doctors have gotten completely slaughtered, completely slaughtered. There's uh, 15,000 that are now have left primary care fee-for-service. There's another 15,000 that claim they're going to in the last survey I saw in the next 30 days. So it's fee-for-service looks like it's just absolutely, you know, walking dead. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the experience that doctors and patients have today is a symptom of the business model. And if the business model is fee-for-service, you're just going to have technology and processes that maximize the services. So, you know, I, I don't see that changing really anytime soon. There's a slow movement, of course, with Medicare Advantage, and, um, you know, the direct primary care movement. But, you know, in total, I mean, they're pretty small outside of Medicare Advantage. So honestly, I, I, you know, we found that, that employers are uh, more willing than anyone to pay for new business models for, for care. Uh, but again, this is a, it's a slow movement, even though, even though providers are, they're not happy. And I understand why. So when I talk to my value-based care guests that have large-scale um, operations, we they're maintaining the uh, lifestyle diseases, not getting worse, and that's how they're getting paid is by maintaining. But there are companies out there that are reversing, like Verta Health. Uh, there's a company in Austin doing the same thing. What is what are you seeing on the horizon that can actually reverse some chronic disease that is uh, lifestyle diseases? Do you have anything in your uh, bag of tricks that looks like it's going to do that for your patients? 
Well, you know, there's there's nothing outside of a motivated patient that can reverse anything, right? So the best we can do as providers um, is motivate our patients. And the best way to do that is via relationships and an accountability partner. And that's really what our health coaches serve on our care team. Um, again, if you're, if you're a member at Crossover, you have a primary care doctor, a health coach, a, a mental health therapist, a physical therapist, and a care navigator. And you work with that consistent team every time. So really it's about, you know, um, you see a lot of these companies like Omada, and, which are just awesome and they're doing a great job. But really what that is, is, a, is, a, is an app and a health coach. And it's disconnected and even carving out the traditional provider. And so we think that's, that's cool and a, and a great business, but at the same time, uh, to have that app, health coach, and the provider on the same team, we think that's, 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 that's a winning bet. So when you're meeting with a prospective employer who's not in your universe yet, do you have any stats that you speak to for outcomes that you're particularly proud of? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, I mean, I would say that outcomes come in the form of decreased secondary spend. Um, and that, you know, I mean, our, I think our best is about a decrease in, uh, you know, I think it's a, between 25 and 30% uh, of the total spend of um, members who are users of crossover versus traditional community users. So you're saying that the employer slash patient of their spend is down 30, 25 to 30% as opposed to um, just the user being the patient or the user being the employer. You're saying combined there. Exactly. So, I mean, that's the thing, like it's that, that quintuple aim, right? It's, um, if you're a user, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's all we're doing is giving people a different, you know, door to come in. And then that door is logical uh, once you get in there. Okay. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, how do people find you if they want to reach you or bring you to come speak? Yeah, Twitter's probably the best or my, my blog, um, Jay Parkinson MD uh, is another one, but or just reach out to Crossover and uh, I'm right here. Great. And if you could fly a banner over, over America, what would that banner say? Oh, man. <laughs> Hang in there. It's going to be better. <laughs> okay. Good message. Jay, we'll do this again. This has really been an honor to meet you and talk to you. And I uh, really think you guys are market leaders. And uh, it's very exciting to see you getting traction. And it, it, even if it's slow, it's traction. So that's good news. Of course, yeah. With the uh, you know this arrangement with uh, Amazon, it's it's not going to be so slow. It's uh, it's going to be a crazy year. So it's very exciting. Good news. And you just got into Texas and Dallas, and you'll be. I think you're in Houston also, aren't you? Yeah, it's close to Houston. I think it's spring. Yeah. So you're in 48 states. Well, very good. Again, nice visiting with you. We'll do this again soon. And thanks for your time. Thank you. So welcome to Just a Hospital Minute. We are adding these segments for one minute at the end of every show to tell you some of the games that hospitals play. Defensive medicine is where the more tests you order, the more you get paid. The more you're touched, the more you're paid in a hospital. This is not always good because there's an unnecessary test asked for every 13 seconds in America. So this is just another hospital minute. Thanks again to our sponsor, the MediSearch Institute. I want to read you a note a CEO friend of mine sent me who used them for a rare childhood disease her daughter had. 
Dr. Talbot's research was thorough. He provided clear paths of treatment, and he gave me access to the best physicians. I'm so grateful for his work. That's the MediSearch Institute. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.